night. I am Matt Lazowitz. And welcome back to Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman story ranking podcast, where each week, my co-host, Will Nevin, and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on our big list, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. And before we go any further, let's say hi to said co-host. How's it going, Will? It is going pretty good. I'm happy to be a part of the internet's longest running Batman podcast. I'm so proud of what we've been able to build here over 89 episodes. And it's, it's been great. It's been great. It certainly has, and it's only going to get better. Because today we will be discussing three all-ages Batman stories. And we have our very first special guest writer and editor at Comics XF, and the guy who I co-host creator interview podcast WMQ&A with, Dan Grote. Welcome, Dan. How's it going? I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to celebrate your 627th episode. Uh, I can't believe there's still Batman stories left to rank, but uh, I, 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 I squeezed in under the, uh, under the sliding door. See, oh, the great thing is that we have new stories every week. So it, we just keep adding to the pile. It's, it's really an, an ingenious podcast idea. We're never going to run out of episodes, even though we're at 1,289 now. So, Dan, when I asked you to come on the show, you specifically said you wanted to try do something with uh, all ages Batman stories. What made that the theme you wanted to hit? Uh, you know, I, I, I was thinking about my son. Uh, he's 10. Uh, Matt, you know him. You're his godfather. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, when, I have you, met him in passing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nodding, nodding and passing on the subway. Um, no, but we, like when he was three, he had he had a little bit of a Batman phase. And, and, and so his his uncle, Matt, dutifully encouraged that. Uh, you know, there were all kinds of, of little, uh, you know, tiny Titans, little Gotham, a couple of Batman Brave and the Bold DVDs, I believe. And, uh, you know, just being a father, you know, I want to know where, where can my kid get into comics? Where should he start? And now Logan has graduated on to a Spider-Man Marvel phase, which makes much more sense coming from where he does but yeah, yeah certainly absolutely but uncle matt will still every now and then slip a batman book amongst the birthday or holiday presents because i got a brand you, you do actually you gave him uh i think last year you gave him uh, batman teenage mutant ninja turtles the uh the first one and he liked that so that, that was a fun book now your history with batman is mostly just hearing me ramble about batman for just shy of 30 years at this point <laughs> Uh, that's correct. Will, do you know the story of how Matt and I met? I do not know the story of how you and Matt met. Okay, let's travel back in time to the distant year 1992. <laughs> uh, Matt and I went to the same middle school. Uh, we didn't actually start interacting with each other until uh, seventh grade. There was a uh, gifted and talented trip to Boston for a week. Boston. Boston. Boston, yeah. Uh, so, uh, they packed the bus. Yeah. <laughs> they packed the bus in Harvard Yard and then, uh, Matt and I, uh, were in the same hotel room and we're unpacking that first day. 
and Matt pulls out a shit ton of, I think it was Nightfall uh, at that point. It was Nightfall and some Spider-Man, because I was trying out Spidey at that point, and I think some Superman, too, because it was Reign of the Superman. Okay, and I pulled out, uh, I think, all of Maximum Carnage. Uh, I had brought with me to read. So, you know, we're both pulling out these. How many fucking comics comics did you guys like anticipate reading on this trip? It's a long bus ride, Will. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But anyway, you know, we're we're pulling out our stacks of comics. We basically just look at each other like it was basically like stepbrothers. Did we just become best friends? Yup. (laughs) And the rest, as they say, is history. Wah, wah, wah. (laughs) So while there are plenty of options for all ages Batman books, uh, I decided to go the animated route to do three books that spin directly out of different animated iterations of Batman. I mean, there are still Tiny Titans and Little Gotham and some others, but I figured these were A, easily accessible for those who want to read them or track them down either online or physically, and B, these series are fun and interesting in general. We're starting with the most recent of these books, which is uh, Homewreckers and Life on Mars. This is Batman, the Brave and the Bold, number 20. The writer for the first story, Home Records, is Robert Greenberger. Uh, pencils by Robert Pope. Inks by Scott McRae. Colors by Heroic Age. Letters by Travis Lanham. And editors were Michael Seglane, Harvey Richards, Scott Peterson, and China Clugston. The creative team on the second story, Life on Mars, is writer Landry Q. Walker. Artist Eric Jones. Colors from Heroic Age. Letters by Rob Clark Jr., and editing by Seglane and Richards. Uh, the cover date on this book is October of 2010. Brave and the Bold, for those of you unfamiliar with the show, was the Batman team-up cartoon. Each issue of the comic, as well as episode of the show, featured Batman teaming up with different heroes. Uh, the two stories here, the first story, Homewreckers, is Batman and Big Barda with some Mr. Miracle thrown in at the end. And the second is Batman and the Martian Manhunter. Dan, I know you watched Brave and the Bold with Logan. Will, have you ever watched any Brave and the Bold? I have not watched Brave and the Bold. And and I want to say here at the beginning, I am doing this episode under protest because I suggested for this uh, kid-friendly episode, widening gyre and (laughs) matt would have none of it i thought it was a brilliant idea uh widening gyre is for the kids um and i'm just i'm really offended that my ideas really weren't heard out in this uh in this episode it it all fair that all said i i said it was juvenile i did not say it was for the kids oh shit that's on me dog i'm sorry (laughs) So uh, this being my first taste of Brave and the Bold, I really liked it. I thought in tone, it hit a real sweet spot between, uh, you know, semi-serious and total campy hilarity. There were some really nice comedic beats in here. And it was still a, a, a serious, 
ish a Batman story. And that that's really hard because if you lean too hard into the silliness, the character just kind of falls apart. You get to like Lego Batman, which is not kind of my favorite iteration of the character. But also too, you can't really repeat the animated series, which was pretty much a straightforward, very serious uh, sort of endeavor. Uh, and I thought this was right in the middle. You know, it's not can't be over the top Batman 66, which has its own place, but then it, it also doesn't repeat uh, the animated series. So at least in terms of this story, and of course I can't speak to the, the animated series since I have not seen it at all. Uh, I thought this was a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, you've hit the nail on the proverbial head when it comes to Brave and the Bold. You read it as the series works and as was intended most of the series works pretty much in that sweet spot in between 66 and the animated series, which is delightful fun. A little bit of background specifically on the writer of this first story, because it is kind of interesting. Uh, Robert Greenberger was a legendary editor at DC in the 80s. He edited the original Who's Who, uh, the Ostrander Suicide Squad, and has written various resources for DC. He wrote the DC Comics Encyclopedia, the Essential Batman Encyclopedia, as well as numerous uh, Star Trek original series and next-gen novels. He's got some cred. And yeah, I thought this was a really fun story and i picked this one because i know dan's deep affection for miracle and barda that's true many many gifts uh for me in this episode in fact because two two of these uh comics are basically kirby tributes but uh i think there's there's also a good running theme throughout all three which is batman team-ups to be reductive but they give you things that aren't necessarily batman that if you want to know more about them, it invites you to kind of keep digging. You know, in this comic specifically, it's it's Miracle, Barda, you know, basically the fourth world, which is which is a whole lot of something, uh, a whole lot of Jack Kirby and a whole lot of fun. If I if I had one knock against uh, this this first story, I, I would say Barda can at times be a little too damselly which is is not a good fit for the character. I mean, if you think of her origins, she is basically the template for for Roz Kirby, for Jack Kirby's wife. And he had the utmost respect for him for his wife. He saw her as this pillar of strength, you know, and gave Barda the the physicality to to match the way he viewed his wife, especially later in his career career when Roz is basically acting as his mouthpiece because Jack unfortunately never had the best business sense and at this point didn't have Joe Simon to to kind of back him up and fight his battles for him so Roz really was his his barda in a lot of ways um the story of the whole reminded me a lot of the like late 80s JM Dematis run on Mr. Miracle, which is very much a uh, suburban comedy with superheroes in it. You know, you've got people shooting arrows off of, of roofs in, in idyllic neighborhoods uh, and stuff like that. It was kind of, it was the perfect take on Scott and Barda for the, the Bwahaha era. 
I, I think the one line that I specifically noted is Barda is fighting one of the female Furies was that's for spoiling spaghetti night after she <laughs> decks. I think it's either Stampa or Lashina. Yes. Like, the two female Furies I reckon. Oh, wait, and Matt Harriet. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the other ones there are the less memorable ones and it would make sense because those were the ones that Ostrander used in suicide squad. Uh, Lashina for a while was a member of the squad. Hmm. So it was like, and I think I, I probably the other two minor ones are also in there and I don't remember them because right. you, you don't remember those, the ones who kind of cycle in and out kind of, I mean, you remember the, those three and Bernadette and only Bernadette really because she's Desaad's sister. She doesn't have much personality other than being Desaad's sister. Yeah. But you know, still OG fury. Yep. And granny goodness. I was, I was surprised at the lack of granny in this one, but Huh. You can't use granny in every story. No, and there was plenty there. Uh, actually, another thing that I really appreciated, the whole panel of Scott strapped to the rocket is in homage yes. to Miracle Number 1. Yep, that was, I, that, that is, that's right there in my notes. Like That's a nice touch. Question about Mr. Miracle in this issue. Mm-hmm. I, I read it the first time. I didn't think much of it. And then I reread it this evening, and I still couldn't figure it out. He goes missing for this entire chunk of like the big climactic fight scene. And there is no reason for him to be missing. Like they say he's shaken up, but we never really see like what happens to him. And it's like, he's in peril and he's out of the fight until he's not out of the fight. And it was kind of a weird storytelling, I think drop. Yeah. I noticed that as well. And when they said something Bruce says something about it. I actually paged back and was like, huh, was he caught under that rubble or something? And he wasn't. I think it was probably just a dropped panel. This, I would think this might have been done Marvel method. And when the pencils came in and there wasn't that panel, it was like, oh, well, I guess I did tell him this is really supposed to be a Batman and Big Barda story and he didn't <laughs> include Scott in the final fight. And now I kind of need to justify that somewhere in here. But yeah, that's that, a good way to no prize that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's the only real answer I, I had to that one because it did jump out to me as well. Okay, good. I'm, I'm glad I wasn't the only person who thought that was weird. Uh, I, I had a couple of lines in here that I really loved. Batman, I believe families should stay together. <laughs> yes, yes. And then uh, along with uh, spoiling Spaghetti Night, uh, what was it? Um, Janice, get back in the house or, uh, or something like that. Yes. Where was that? That was when Artemisa was firing, Artemis was firing arrows like a third of the way into the story. They're, they're outside Scott and Barda's suburban house. There we go. Get back inside, Janice. You never know when another, when another arrow. Nice. Yes. Yes. That, that was, this was pretty delightful. And unless we have any other thoughts, I, let's move on to the, uh, the back half of this issue. Uh, I do have one more thing oh, I want to add. Absolutely. It's a very small thing. Sure. But at one point, uh, they used the sound effect backhand and i think that might be my favorite sound effect that is actually just the thing that's happening since the golden age turns to metal yes and 
when we get to the second story, there's another one in the second story. Because uh, the second story is a Batman Martian Manhunter team up from the same creative team that did the delightful all ages uh, Supergirl Cosmic Adventures in the eighth grade series. This is a Batman Martian Manhunter team up where they are pursuing the closest thing Jean has to an arch nemesis, Ma Alafak Malefic who is in the main DC continuity, another surviving green Martian. They made him a white Martian here, just I think for ease of differentiation, because he and John look a lot alike because they are actually biologically related in the main DC universe. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's a pretty simple detective E sort of thing with the two of them hunting the mysterious villain, not quite killer, but it would normally be a killer. I love Batman and Martian Manhunter team-ups. There aren't a ton of them, and I wish there were more, because these are two characters that absolutely would get each other. I know that it's often a lot of people do the, you know, well, Martian Manhunter and Superman, I mean, they've both lost their worlds. It's like, not really. Clark never knew Krypton. They might be the last sons of their worlds, but Clark is an Earthman who happens to be from another planet. He doesn't probably think of himself as Kryptonian in the strictest sense of the word. But Jean and Bruce are people who lost their families. They would have a deeper understanding of each other than I think Clark and Jean would in that particular way. They're also both detectives. So I, I love I love that little bit of dynamic there. Uh, I will also add that the art for this particular story gives Jean like the biggest friggin' forehead I have ever seen. I mean, he's usually drawn with kind of a big forehead, but here it's like he's got like two foreheads on top of each other extended. It's real big. It's it's, it's how you know he's got a big, powerful brain. Uh, He does. I, I will say, though, because this is Brave and the Bold, uh, I did miss him being drawn with, uh, with the box of Chacos. Yes. <laughs> yes. These are both Giffen-era, Giffen-Dematis, Justice League-era characters, which is nice that the two of them were sort of together that way. I will also add that this one has the sound effect when Malafak transforms from a, you know, doodad back into his normal form the sound effect is transform which was great transform Uh, but yeah this was a very fun story both of them were this was a very fun issue which is what you get from a lot of these brave and the bold uh at some point we will circle back to the issue where due to time travel machinations all the different robins from all the different timelines wind up in one place at the same time as robin and it's delightful as, a, as like a gestalt Robin? No, like you've got Dick Grayson as Robin, teaming up with Jason Todd as Robin, teaming up, teaming up with Tim Drake as Robin, teaming up with Stephanie Brown as Robin, teaming up with Te- uh, Carrie Kelly as Robin, and all of them on one adventure together. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, a gestalt Robin would be super weird. Or like a Voltron Robin. I could get behind the Voltron Robin. Uh, but any of that would be better than the Cronenberg Robin. Yes. <laughs> 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 I, I like the punchline literally the punchline to the yes. second story Batman's like uh, I hope my next thing is a problem that I could punch yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, Brave and the Bold Batman is the straight man around which this weird world exists. He's always taking these things sort of in stride, but also has a sort of wry raised eyebrow when stuff gets real weird which is kind of nice there's the one episode where they do the batman of zoranar not the morrison version but the silver age version where you find another batman on another earth and another hero inspired by him who became batman of his world it's it's delightful and he's this batman always has sort of a, a a little snarky rejoinder which is is nice so I think we have reached that point where it is time, Will, to put it on the big board. All right. So we are going to add this one to our list. Our list is currently 12 stories with uh, number really one. Really after 10,500 episodes? We, we really well, dig deep, Dan. We really dig we, we took a break from ranking stories for, you know, about 1,300 of those episodes. It, it, look, it gets weird. It gets weird. I still can't believe you guys did a clip show. <laughs> <laughs> Who is driving? Oh no, Bear is driving. Uh, we did a bottle episode too. That was fun. <laughs> and yet this is not the darkest timeline yet. <laughs> so right now where the list stands, number one is... Batman Year One from Batman Volume One, number 404 to 407. Uh, smack dab in the middle at number six is Zero Year. Batman Volume Two, numbers 21 to 27 and 29 to 33. And bottom of the list, number 12, is the last Batman story from Batman Volume One, number 300. So where do we want to drop this story? I'm going to say yeah, I'm pretty high on this one. Yes. Yeah, I think this one is definitely going to fall into the upper half of that list. Yep. My ceiling, the highest it's going to go is probably number five. I don't see it beating last episode's Beautiful People, uh, Detective 821, the Deanie Williams uh, mystery one-off. I want to state for the record that the, the good listeners out there we do not compare notes on where we want to rank these before we actually start the show. And yet here I am thinking, eh, this book is probably not better than the beautiful people. And it's right around doomsday books. So I'm thinking number five, like we are, we're simpatico here. So I think brave and the bold 20 goes right there in that five hole. There we go. Then I think we are in agreement. So next up, we're going to go, back in time to a different era of Batman animation to what is a, a very different book. This one is Demons from Batman Adventures Volume 1, Annual Number 2. The sto- story is written by Paul Dini with a plot by Dini, Bruce Timm, and Glenn Murakami. Art by Tim and Murakami, colors by Murakami, letters by Richard Starkings and Comicraft, and edited by Darren Vincenzo and Scott Peterson. The cover date on this one is June 1995. This is an oversized annual telling a story of Batman having to team up with Jason Blood and his demonic alter ego, Etrigan, 
to stop Rachel Ghoul from releasing a plague demon and wiping out humanity, which is, you know, Rachel's whole whole deal. This is I like, I mean, the first volume of Brave and the Bold, Brave and the Bold, excuse me, of Batman Adventures has a lot of great stories. And this one is is up there. I mean, the the Tim and Murakami art is, and these are the guys who designed Batman the Animated Series. So it's it's right there. I got a quibble. Okay. I got a quibble. We might have the same quibble, but you go ahead. You talk about the art. When I think the animated series, I think lush. I think beautiful. I think something to look at. This art, very underwhelming for me. Not a lot of detail, not a lot of life to it. Uh, Some of these panels with just solid background colors. It doesn't look like a lot of care and effort and just joy was put into this in terms of a, a visual uh, experience. So um, I'm a little down on this. Okay. I'm going to, okay. I'm going to piggyback on Will because my uh, not knowing that Glenn Murakami was also involved with the animated series. You know, I wasn't sure how directly involved Bruce Tim was in the production of this comic. Cause it felt like a pale imitation of Bruce Tim. But the interesting thing is that when it comes to the demon and when it comes to Hawk, the other demon that they raise later in the comic, that is no perfect Jack Kirby tribute. There is crackle. The inks are starker. When whenever they're aping Kirby, the art is is fantastic. But yeah, everything else felt a little more. Mm, it's interesting. Disposable. Murakami was specifically character design and storyboard, so he wasn't backgrounds. He was really that front and center stuff. Uh, so I can absolutely see where it's because I think of him in that whole oeuvre, but he actually becomes a major player with Batman Beyond and Teen Titan. Traditional Batman the Animated Series was sort of his first gig. So this would have been really early in his his career. And I think the stuff that jumps out at me was that Kirby stuff was Hach and Etrigan and that first page where you see Jason Blood in shadows and all craggy, which is pure Kirby. And I actually would wager a lot of that is probably Tim, who is a devotee of the Kirby stuff. Now, this this comic came out like a year after Kirby died. So at that point, you know, those those feelings and the tributes are still uh, fresh. And in fact, I think there were. Yeah. So I, I started kind of pl- looking at the enchantments and some of them were like same, that Zatanna, yes. same stuff. And there was one that said Kirby was the greatest. Uh, there was another fun one that said, uh, I buried Paul. Yep. Yeah, no, I was thinking, okay, is Rachel Ghoul, is this incantation written by one of the, Z- the Zataras? Because that is some pure Zatara, Zatanna Zatara, Giovanni Zatara style uh, spell casting. My favorite bit of art and again i think it's probably tim and it is i think the more detailed stuff is that one flashback sequence to this piratey looking jason blood and this sort of dandy looking rachel ghoul fighting in a mayan temple i love the design of al ghoul with the tri-corner hat and the the kind of 
unlaced shirt or the laced up shirt and Jason Blood looking like something out of Tales from the Black Freighter. Yar, I be immortal. <laughs> One thing to specifically note is except when encanting, Etrigan does not speak in rhyme, which is the Kirby stuff. The rhyme was brought in later. Uh, okay. See, I was wondering about that because I was like, wait, he's not rhyming. Okay, he's rhyming. He, like, it was in. I, I understand the consistency now. I just wasn't sure, not being like an Etrigan super fan, like I thought the rhyming was was like constant. The rhyming came in, I believe, in the 1980s Etrigan miniseries from Matt Wagner mm. or Alan Moore. It might have been Alan Moore in when he brought Etrigan into Swamp Thing. That might have been where it was, because I know different people like when Etrigan shows up in Sandman, Etrigan's entire dialogue is a sonnet. Like Gaiman really plays with the poetry of it. And when John Byrne, who, you know, noted ass John Byrne, uh, took over writing Wonder Woman, he was another big Kirby devotee. He did this sort of, oh, yeah. That the whole rhyming thing was an enchantment. And I'm going to break the enchantment so Etrigan doesn't rhyme anymore, which he said was to bring it closer to Kirby's original intention. I just think he was too lazy to write the rhymes. Uh, that sounds rhyming right. stuff is hard. Oh, it, yo, I have read enough Etrigan that is poor doggerel that I, I'm, you know, I guess I shouldn't give him too much of a hard time because I would rather do that than hear him try to write rhyming Etrigan for however many issues he did or in the short-lived series written and drawn by Byrne, Blood of the Demon. For a character I really tend to like, there are lots of runs of Etrigan stuff that is not too great. That Matt Wagner series rocks. And, and the Garth Ennis, John McRae stuff. A lot of fun there too. So I quibbled, I quibbled about the art. I got one other complaint I want to make here. This seemed a little bloated. Uh, seemed like we could, we could do a little cutting and it would have been fine. Specifically the dream sequence that did not go a damn place. Uh, that was just two or three pages of, oh, okay. He had kind of a nightmare. Eh. I that, think, was an, that was an excuse to do some Kirby pinups. Yeah, exactly. That was Bruce Tim doing some Kirby homage. Uh, but, yeah, but, you know, do a, do a gallery in the back if you want that stuff and cut it down. I, I mean, it was an annual, so clearly they, they, they had to pad. I had, a, I had a little bit of a different quibble. So, you know, we're calling this an all-ages comic because it's an adaptation of, you know, a show that was on at 4 o'clock in the afternoon for... For, for children after Tiny Toon Adventures, kids ask your parents. This, this book back. opens with f- like five people getting Claremont killed. Yes. They get names and then they <laughs> die in an explosion. And, and, and then Talia is, is sporting some very kid-friendly decolletage. <laughs> I actually <laughs> do the issue. Yep, I do note Angry Claremontian narrator in that opening sequence because yeah, mm-hmm. that, that is, is very much there. I think when these guys who worked on the animated series got to work in the comic, they did 
push things a little further because at this point the somewhat toothless comics code authority was not as much of a pain in the ass as uh fox snp fair so they were able to get away with things i mean mad love is technically still an all ages story and i mean that has the entire, you know, Harley traipsing around in a, in a red negligee asking Mr. J if he wants to rev his Holly, which then eventually does actually get translated right to the screen when the show moves over to the WB because the WB's S&B let them get away with a lot more than Fox did. But yeah, I mean, oh yeah, Talia is definitely in a... I, I was trying to think if I've ever seen... Kirby do that. It actually struck me more as like a Storanko outfit, like something out of yeah. that, you know, Nick Fury, Contessa, mm-hmm. Valentina stuff. It's like that, 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 I don't remember Kirby ever going for the midriff and cut out Power Girl esque boob window stuff. Barta had like her warrior outfit and then like her sort of um, Russ Meyer, faster pussycat kill kill bikini. Yes, that is a valid point. But I would argue that wasn't really sexualizing. That was because she's Barda and she can't. Yeah. I mean, this is not the best by any stretch of these Batman Adventures books. Uh, I wanted to do this one because I liked the parrot with the other. It was another Kirby homage. The first annual is various Gotham villains attempt to go straight themed. I mean, there's Mad Love. There are all sorts of fun. Most of the main issues of the first volume, which was 36 issues, were one-offs. There are a couple of three-parters and maybe one or two two-parters in there. But of those 36 issues, it's probably 32 to 33 individual issues. And they tried their best in that run to mostly stick to characters from the cartoon they didn't bring in a lot of outside figures thing this one brings in etrigan who doesn't pop up until new batman adventures i remember there is one issue that does anarchy there's an issue with superman because this was pre superman adventures so it's actually 90 superman he's got the mullet <laughs> noise they, they do like their mullets we'll get to another mullet in our last story again there is a fondness for this story for me because of having read it when it first came out and I'm still working my hardest to remove the, the, the beer glasses of nostalgia and it's easier for some stories than others. This Batman adventures run was my comfort food. If I was having a rough day, I would come home and I would just take one of these issues and I'd read it again. That's like, because you know this was before you could stream an episode of the cartoon, and I only had so many of them on VHS. So like, it's easier to just grab an issue of this fun comic and go back and sink into the one where DC's three major editors of the time were cast as supervillains in this story, <laughs> teaming up with the Riddler, or the one where Harley and Ivy run into Batgirl at a party. We'll get to that issue eventually in our Harley Quinn, in our first Harley Quinn episode, where we get around to a Harley-themed episode. Yeah, uh, unless we have anything else. 
Time to put it on the big board. Okay. So this one is not going to wind up as high as the previous story. Where do you feel about it, Will, in relation to Blades, another story that you weren't as hot on as I was? Get the fuck out of my brain. Get the fuck out. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm eyeing that that eight, nine hole. Blades is engaging and clever and it's got its holes. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a fine story. Uh, Speeding Bullets has got that insufferable uh, Batman. I I like it right there. I I think Blades is better, more enjoyable, and to me, this is this is a good number nine. Then I am I am right there with you. So Batman Adventures Annual Number Two Demons will now be number nine. And I can't I- wait until we really have to fight about one of these. God, that's going to be so much fun. It'll come. I'm sure we'll we'll get there eventually. But, you know, right now we're only at, this will be 15 by the end of this episode. When we have to get real granular, then we're going to have to, you know, we're going to see some some fireworks. You know, as the person who's edited your your column over at Comics XF for for a year now or however long it's been, I'm still waiting for you two to fight. Waiting for it. (laughs) Every week, is this going to be the time? Which one of you is going to pull the heel turn and start defending Ghostmaker? <laughs> Not going to happen. Not going to happen. A, it'll be a cold day in hell before I recognize Ghostmaker as a character. <laughs> fuck you, James. Some nonsense. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, go he, he, go he, the he, fuck he, off to Substack already <laughs> if you're going to keep pushing that guy. Jesus. Uh, I, I am glad that you know he'll keep writing joker for a while because the last thing i would have wanted was his last statement on batman to be the batman annual that's going to be 64 pages of ghost maker that we will not be talking about you know i didn't see all the dc solicits today are we sure there isn't a ghost maker ongoing that just <laughs> they haven't released the full slot yet oh please okay God. Yeah, no, they only the the four. We are recording this episode the day that the new Batgirls ongoing, uh, as well as the, One Star Squadron, One Star Squadron, a, the Swamp Thing, Black Label book from Jeff Lemire and Doug Monkey, and the World of Krypton Jor-El at the End Days of Krypton series were all announced. Wait, hold on. I thought we were recording this in October. Is this not October? Because, <laughs> man, I'm real confused. Yeah, eventually, folks, we are going to actually be recording episodes when you've had time to respond to them. But we wanted to have a nice, solid back catalog built up. So if we get more flooding here in New Jersey and we lose power for weeks at a time god hope not we don't have, we, we have some some episodes backed up I, I don't know if talking about that is tempting fate or is me addressing <laughs> the problem of me like hey i'm preparing for this so you know fate isn't gonna you know screw with me because i've prepared for it it's only when you're not ready that it's fate likes to come up and kick you in the ass Listen, but all that all that matters is the pumpkin spice shit comes out in late August. It's fall. Ah. That's all you really need to know. Yeah. It's going to be a long Halloween. 
Yes, Ooh, it is. And, and next week we get to our spooky books. I'm so excited. Yep. Yes. Yeah, next no, week we, is Halloween. We, we, we just put out our first Halloween decoration just because I was in the Home Depot and it was like, oh, they have little lawn things. I'm going to buy a, a funky little scarecrow and put it outside the door just because because this will be the first year in a while that we've had the time to actually decorate for Halloween around my house. And we're both real excited for it. But we actually have one more Batman story to talk about. So let's cycle back to Last Chance. Batman Gotham Adventures number six. Written by Ty Templeton with art from Rick Burchett. Colors by Terry Beatty. Uh, letters by Lee Lawfridge. Edited by Darren Vincenzo. Cover date on this one is November of 1998. This is the animated series tie-in book to the new Batman Adventures, and this takes a is a com- an animated series era retelling of the origin of Dead Man, uh, the classic DC character from the uh, 70s created by uh, legendary Batman artist and hollow earth supporter, Neil Adams, who was featured in many Batman crossover stories. The creators on this book all have some other Batman pedigrees. Uh, Ty Templeton has done all manner of Batman animated tie-ins. He is drawing the current, as of this recording, Batman, the adventures continue season two. Rick Burchett is a regular collaborator on Bat Books with Greg Rucka, including Batman Huntress Cry for Blood and various issues of Detective Comics. And inker Terry Beatty penciled the Slam Bradley chapter from last week's Detective uh, 572 Doomsday Book. This is, as I think about it, really the first book that we are ranking on this list that is a full-on Batman family book. We've had some Batman and Robin issues in here, but this one you get Batman and Robin and Nightwing and Batgirl. So it's it's interesting to see a the family showing up in this one. One little cringy moment I wanted to point out on the very first page. Uh, just just a general note to DC editorial. Probably never a good reason to reference Jesus or Muhammad in your in your caped books. Probably. Yeah. It, it, just, it just comes off as weird. Weird uh, and a little cringy. Yeah. Add into that the fact that this book does a lot of like direct translation of that dead man origin that does not feature the bat characters, including the really uncomfortable characters of Vashnu and the sensei who are both orientalist uh, stereotypes that really should not have been appearing in a comic in 1998. I mean, I wasn't surprised. I don't think in the nineties we caught up to being fully sensitive to, to Eastern and Asian cultures. I think there was still that air of, mystery and exoticism we're saying that in air quotes ladies and gents yeah yeah but no definitely i saw the indian guy in the diaper and i'm like oh we're doing mm. this huh mm. yeah okay. i mean yeah, the sensei at least 
he's wearing more than he often is, which is usually just like a gi, you know, an open chested, you know, karate outfit. He's at least not quite as awfully stereotypical, but he's pretty close. But Vashnu is like, oh boy. Yeah. Oh, that's that's not not good for for this book. It's not good for anyone. <laughs> I was I was curious because this is a very dead man heavy book. I, if you're if you're a kid reading this comic, and you know you're just you're just here for Batman, are you like you know why are we so focused on this dead man guy? You you know give me Batman, you dingus. While the creative team is like, isn't it cool we're teaching kids about dead man? Dead man had appeared once before in the animated series continuity comics, mm-hmm. uh, which is where he winds up in charge of Haley's circus, which again, not in the comics. That's just to sort of conveniently tie him into Dick Grayson back in Batman and Robin adventures. Number 15, the, the way the animated series stuff worked was Batman adventures, Batman and Robin adventures, Gotham adventures, and then Batman adventures volume two. But so he had got to restart those numberings, baby. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, what's into the first three kind of makes sense, because every time they rebooted or altered the animated series, they altered the comic to go with it. But I was never like, okay, so, yeah, you're changing your creative teams for Gotham Adventure for Batman Adventures Volume Two. But you didn't really need to relaunch the book. The animated series was long over by then. Because that one, Gotham Adventures ran for, I think, 60 plus issues. It was the longest of any of these volumes. It ran well after the animated series ended. And Adventures Volume 2, A, early work from legendary late Spider-Man writer Dan Slott, late as in putting his scripts in late, not late as in deceased. But also... Although some people uh, on comics Twitter would certainly not... You know, be like super bombed if he was no longer riding Spider Man for whatever reason, or they would mourn for the appropriate amount of time, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it also took the animated series continuity further, which did some cool stuff and was cut off real short. So there was a whole dangling plot thread about a first appearance of an animated series style Red Hood in the classic Joker mold. And apparently there was a subplot cut from it that introduced the ancestor of Derek powers, the main villain from Batman beyond. Mm. So that would have been a cool Mm. thing if they had had the time to really flesh that stuff out. Tying it all together. Yeah. This is a perfectly fine story. I think the, the shame is the sort the Dead Man animated story that I remember really liking. I think is the Batman and Robin Adventures one, because I was trying to find another you know sort of Batman team up story to go with the other two. And I was like, oh yeah, there's this Dead this Dead Man one where it's really just a Dick Grayson and Boston Brand story. And then I started reading this like, no wait, that's a different story, isn't it? Oh well, I've already given this one out. We'll get to that one eventually. Here's my question for this: Is this not the full? dead man story we see him introduced he dies and at the end he's like i'm floating away 
it's it is. I mean, this took a lot of those early dead man stories and kind of really condensed them down because he doesn't catch the the hook handed man right away in the original story. The whole arc of those Adams dead man stories is him leaping from body to body, pulling a Richard Kimball hunting the one armed man. Only in this case, it's the hook-handed man. <laughs> uh, Richard, uh, Richard Kimball and uh, Sam whatever from Quantum Leap. Yeah. I was just thinking that. <laughs> striving, Sam Beckett, striving to put right what once went wrong. If Dead Man ever went, oh boy. I would be oh all boy. about that. Oh boy. We, we mentioned Mullets earlier, and th- I just do have to call back. This is Dick Grayson's glorious giant ponytail mullet of the Batman, new Batman Adventures era. That was a choice, Grayson. That was a choice. I Look, it was the mid-90s. It, unfortunately, was the style at the time. Here's the real question, though. Dick Grayson's uh, Raven uh, backlocks are, are very different from, say, a Dan Jurgens super mullet. Which do you prefer? Who has the superior mullet? I got to say, I I like it nice and tidy here. Yeah, I think Dick really, he's got the ponytail. He's, and he's, Superman's, yeah, kind of, you know, flows in the wind when he's flying. But if Dick really wanted to, he could like tie a weight to that sucker and he could use that as a weapon. (laughs) I don't think it was, quite that 90s if he were an image character dick would have absolutely been using that hair as a weapon in the 90s i will say there is a good bit with of detective batman here with robin pointing out the rifle stand them finding the rifle them hiding the actual murder weapon in amongst the rifles for one of those shoot a duck stands them knowing who the best gunsmith in gotham was following into that like, that's actual detective legwork. That's a nice beat for this particular Batman. And is also a, a name drop to Rupert Thorne, legendary Gotham mob boss, who was a character in Batman the Animated Series and from the, the storied Strange Apparitions, uh, Englehart and Rogers run. So question about the geography of Gotham City. Uh-huh. Uh, does Gotham ha- traditionally have a cabbage town district or neighborhood? Nope. That is a first for me. I, I, I honest to God am someday going to write something that I'm going to read as we do this. I should, there hasn't been a lot of it in any of the stories we've read so far, but I want to make notes of every intersection and building that is named after a creator in Gotham. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, I completely forgot. And I, I to mention this before, brief flashback to that Martian Manhunter story. The lab that they find that Malafoc had raised mm-hmm. was named after Martian Manhunter's creators. So nice. that goes on the board of this is a place in Gotham named after creators. The number of places in Gotham that have been named after Denny O'Neill, Bob Kane, Bill Finger, uh, and I think Jim Aparo, who's also had quite a few, 
I'm expecting a lot of Brayfogles. There haven't been a ton, but there have been at least one or two Brayfogles. I think once you're a DC Batman creator who has passed or has become a legend, they stick your name on a lot of stuff. Oh, and Jerry Robinson. Jerry Robinson has one of the few steadily used ones of those. Uh, Robinson Park, the answer to Gotham's uh, Central Park. Or Gotham's answer to New York Central Park. And Chuck Dixon has the docks. Snyder has the university, right? I think so. They, they need a whole ass college after Scott Snyder? I, yeah, I think. Because remember, he's a teacher. Ah, fair. That is true. That is true. I know See, it's, that, it's clever. Yeah. Th- there's definitely an Aparo. There's been a, a building. Everyone has had streets. Like There's constantly the intersection of this creator and that creator. Usually creators who work together get intersections. Frank Miller's had a bunch of Miller, the Miller building, this and that. Uh, Gotham, I'm sure it's the same with Metropolis and Superman creators. They just don't jump out at me as much Mm -hmm. as they do in Gotham, but Gotham loves to name its neighborhoods after neighborhood streets, docks, creepy rundown warehouses, which granted (laughs) makes up about two-thirds of Gotham real estate after creators. I like the idea that you could either go to Snyder University or Capullo Community College. (laughs) Yes. So I think with all of that said, unless anyone has anything else. Time to put it on the board. All right. So this one is the least of our three stories tonight. I, I think anyway. I think demons at least had some cool Etrigan stuff. It had Rachel Ghoul. It's not as, it's, so it's below Demons. It's below Speeding Bullets. It's below Holy Terror, because Holy Terror was crazy. Gotham by Gaslight at least has that incredible Mignola art. See, I am going to posit that this is above annual number two because this this has art where people gave a damn i am inclined to agree with will okay i also feel like this one is more of a kind of solid story that did everything it needed to do got in got out whereas you know we were of the mind that the annual was a little bit more uh padded i'll give you that i i can agree with that yeah i just i just i love that that pirate Dead man, uh, demon, and Rachel, cool, but and and some Kirby style demons, but I'm this is not a a battle. I am I I see as worthy of an of a fight. There are there there uh, there will be times where we will fight tooth and nail, but I think I, I think it if it's better than demons, it's not better than blades. I think blades still does some really cool stuff. It has that Tim sale art. So I think if if we can drop it in between blades and demons, I'm okay with that. Okay. So in that case, this is number nine last chance. So we have made it out of another one. Next week, as Will hinted before, is our super spooky Halloween episode. Batman will be fighting vampires, ghosts, vampires, and werewolves. It will be a whole thing. 
Before we get out of here, I think it's important to note we have established some serious canon tonight. This is a League of Assassins podcast. <laughs> because it's Raish. We're in with the League. Damn right. <laughs> so, before we go, also, Dan, tell folks where they can find you online and all the stuff that you are up to. Okay, sure. So, Matt and I co-host a, a creator interview podcast over at ComicsXF called WMQ&A. I understand that's a lot of letters. Just go with it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we've guest starred many a time. One of our yeah, regular true. guests. Yeah, well, one of our most frequent guests. He recently played the uh, world's worst scroll on an episode. <laughs> <laughs> That was a good time. (laughs) Uh, I also do. Everyone uh, had a lot of fun. (laughs) And and the cat Beth was so soft. 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 Uh, uh, I also do a lot of editing and writing over at uh, ComicsXF, regularly covering uh, Homesick Pilots, Forrest Hollingsworth, and also uh, editing uh, these two lovable knuckleheads uh, yeah. in their uh, print uh, bat chat column. So and stay tuned for uh, One Star Squadron, which will finally be the book that will regularly team Dan and I on a writing project, which is going to be very exciting. Ooh. Oh, yeah. We, call, we called that today. Yeah, we called that today. <laughs> we didn't tell anyone, but we called it. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm the DC editor. I can <laughs> assign what I like. I have so little power. I need to abuse what I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, are, you, what are you gonna do, Zach? Fire him? Uh, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Uh, oh, Nothing. Oh, uh, that's what you're gonna do. Uh, I also run the uh, the Comic Six F newsletter, which you should totally subscribe to because it's uh, it's good and it's got a lot of stuff that's not on the site. Uh, so, and Dan, you're and you're on Twitter. Uh, I am on Twitter. Uh, much like everyone else, I probably shouldn't be, but uh, you can find me there at uh, Daniel P. Grote. Great. So, Dan, thank you so much for being on the show. Absolute pleasure. Uh, and remember, everyone, if you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and my cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLaz1013. And Will, they can find you. At Will Nevin, but more importantly, follow the brand because hopefully by the time you listen to this, we'll be up to 10,000. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat Roundup of new bad books for my other show, the aforementioned WMQ&A with me and Dan. And to hear and see all of the other stuff that Will, Dan, and I are writing. Remember, everybody, stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.